This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast, presented as always by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use that promo code DNVR when you sign up. I'm Justin Michael. I'm here with Jake Schwanitz. We're just doing a two-man show today. It's Monday. It's the first of two shows since we didn't have one last week. Got a lot to talk about. Another disappointing loss for the Broncos resulting in the release of Melvin Gordon. It feels a little bit like too little too late. We'll give our thoughts on that. We'll talk about week 12. There was a lot of crazy games this weekend. A couple of pretty insane results. We were really close to having pure chaos, but even so, still a pretty fun weekend. And then we'll do a mock, which is going to be a lot of fun. Have not done a lot of mock drafts this year, so I'm looking forward to it. But uh, first things first, how's it going, my man? Doing well, dude. Uh, Just got through Survival Sunday. I was just at the bar, actually, for the U.S. versus Wales game. It was amazing out there. I'm sure Friday is going to be absolutely bonkers at the DMVR bar. I will be out of town, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to have fun there. Good reminder to come through. Uh, Thanksgiving, we are closed. But other than that, we'll be open, uh, open early, I should say. For all these World Cup matches, we are partnering with the Rapids, so it's legit. Going to have lots of fun guests, lots of fun prizes. And I also want to talk about, uh, real, just real quick, if you're a DNVR member, I'm sure you know it. Uh, we switched. We got the Die Hard model now. A lot more free content, which is dope. Uh, but also a lot more benefits for the, the Die Hards, just in terms of exclusive opportunities, exclusive merch discounts all kinds of stuff so go check that out but yeah let's uh let's get on into it here what do you want to talk about first should we just talk about college football since that was fun and then give our thoughts on melvin gordon or do you want to just get the the gordon situation out of the way let's just get it out of the way because i don't think there's much else that really needs to be said as you let off with i mean this was a long time coming probably too little too late but i mean at least they finally did it i mean it's just, it blows my mind. This should have been done two months ago, dude. What took so long? I was surprised he got brought back in the first place. Yes. I was even more surprised when he didn't get cut earlier in the season when he arguably cost the Broncos not one, but two games. I don't know, man. There, There does not seem to be a lot of accountability within that organization right now. It's pretty discouraging. What are your thoughts on Clint Kubiak getting the the play calling responsibilities? I mean, to me, it kind of just feels like a desperate guy playing his last card. That's basically what it was. It's Hackett's last move. I mean, maybe Gordon being cut is his last move, technically. If this this week against the Panthers, we were talking before we started recording the over-under set at 35 and a half, which is embarrassing for an NFL game to start off with. Um, so at, if they did it fire him after this game i think it is pretty safe to say he's going to hold on at least through the end of the season i mean the season's already lost at this point 
But I don't know. It's just disappointing. We need to talk about George Payton and his decisions too at some point over the last, I don't know, calendar year or so because a lot of head scratching stuff there. We could we could go back to the 2021 draft if we want to, but we won't get that started. So it's just disappointing all around. Not a very fun weekend. Not a very fun game. Losing to Josh McDaniels for the second time in one season should be enough reason to make a change if, if you're the Broncos, in my opinion. I am looking forward to getting into this mock draft because there are some intriguing running back options in this class. And clearly, I think it's going to be a position the Broncos need to target. You have no idea you know, what Javante is going to look like post knee injury, you know, it was a pretty devastating situation for him. We'll kind of have to follow all that, but uh, man, just <laughs> yikes. It was a fun one, though. It was a fun weekend of college football. Like, for as much as this uh, this Broncos season has been a stinker, I do think it has been a pretty fun college football season. Been a struggle locally. If you're a Buffs or Rams fan, it's been Jeez. long. Probably looking forward to the offseason at this point, but I think top to bottom, it has been a lot of fun. We still have the potential of some, you know, wonkiness within the college football playoff rankings after all this kind of went down. But I think what we got to start with is Tennessee just getting throttled by Spencer Rattler and South Carolina. Crazy. I mean, South Carolina got after him from the get-go, really. It's Spencer Rattler, game of his life, 30th, 37, 438 passing yards and six touchdowns. I don't know if that's enough to put him back on draft radars, but that is a huge, huge standout win for him. Uh, of course, Hendon Hooker, torn ACL, probably the biggest bummer. And, I mean, that really puts a nail in the coffin in the Tennessee season. If this loss didn't already, uh, the committee is probably done with them. But uh, I don't know. I just had uh, I was behind the Tennessee kind of momentum and the big, uh, you know, season. It's been a long time since we've seen I've never seen Tennessee this good. So it was fun. But uh, I guess all Cinderella stories must come to an end. This one just before midnight, it seems. Spencer Rattler, man, 30 of 37. I mean, this is this is what everybody fantasized about the potential and now it's going to get really interesting because when you actually do see it play out and you see the what if, I, I think this type of performance absolutely puts them back on NFL draft radar because some team, some scouts going to be like, look at what he's capable of when it goes right. If we can just bring that out of him, he's got all the physical tools. The, I mean, the counter to that, though, is Tennessee's passing defense really hasn't been good this whole year. I don't think this is that surprising. Um, the fact that it's Spencer Rattler, I think makes it a lot more surprising. As you said, we've known he's had the tools when he, when it puts it all together, it looks like this. So as you said, I think someone eventually will talk themselves into, Hey, let's bring this guy in. Might be a day two guy, maybe still a day three at this point, who knows, but, uh, it's good to at least see these flashes of potential for these guys like Spencer Rattler, who are high profile recruits. Well, who knows? I mean, he might end up going back. We don't need, you know, he's a guy right. I think that could benefit from more college football, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, only a junior. He could play another year at South Carolina. Um, who knows? I mean, no Hendon Hooker, maybe South Carolina. If Rattler comes back, could be maybe the Tennessee of 2023. Maybe a little less surprising, given that we've talked about 
how flawed Ole Miss has been in terms of their their defense. They just they don't have the guys to hang with some of these top level teams. But losing forty two to twenty seven to a not so great Arkansas team. I mean, they Arkansas plays hard. Like I I think they're well coached and they they have an identity. But tough look for Ole Miss. I wonder if their fans are starting to get a little bit nervous about the potential of Kiffin Bolton. It's a possibility at this point, and we've known that the Arkansas Razorbacks are kind of capable of performances like this. K.J. Jefferson played well, 17-22, only 168 yards, but he did throw three touchdowns, no interceptions. Raheem Sanders, really the big kind of uh, driving force for the Razorbacks, 24 carries, 232 yards, three touchdowns, averaged 9.7 yards per carry on this Ole Miss defense which is the reason I think we did not believe in them from the get-go. As you mentioned, they just don't have the guys up front. So, uh, I mean, I'm also not really surprised. I think I've sort of seen Ole Miss as frauds up until this point anyway. I mean, 14th rank is, it's all right, I guess, at this point in the season. But yeah, this isn't particularly surprising. Ole Miss drops to four and three in the conference. Billy Napier's debut has been a little bit weird at Florida. I mean, you start with the win over Utah. They lost to Vanderbilt last week. And Vanderbilt is not the Vanderbilt of old. I've talked about that on the Rams pod a couple times just because they're a team that I've bet on a little bit. They can run the football. They've got a nice little you know, scheme offensively. It's, it's just been a little bit up and down defensively. But for the Gators to lose this one... That's a rough look. All of a sudden, Vandy, I mean, they're sitting at five and six. They'd have to upset Tennessee, but it'd be awesome to see them be bowl eligible. Yeah, they're knocking on the door. Uh, Florida just, they outgained Vanderbilt 445 total yards, 283. Anthony Richardson had a massive game throwing the ball, 25 and 42, 400 yards. He did have an interception, but to lose a game against Vanderbilt when you have Anthony Richardson put it together and play that well is just really damning. And um, maybe it shows that Florida just the issues go deeper than head coach. I mean, Dan Mullen, I think we talked about was maybe a little premature, uh, kind of surprising when he was fired. So we'll see. They got to, they got to dig deep. It feels like the Mullen situation was more about recruiting than anything else based on what I was a reading on the situation, right. but we all know how it is down there. That's probably good enough in the SEC. I mean, Kentucky, they they played tough against Georgia at home. I'm Not out surprising. I'm out. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Yeah, I can't do it with him, man. Can't do it. Like He's too I hear up and down. Ar- he is, and I hear the argument all the time. Like, well, he, someone's going to take a chance on him because... Look at Josh Allen and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, one, these That's are Apple the outlier. Yeah. Yeah. You saw, you saw firsthand Josh Allen has eye popping skills. Even at college, when it wasn't all moving at once, he had the arm, he had the mobility. Levis is just, I, I don't see anything like, like He's that not even anybody. close to Josh. Like, they're not even in the same no. arena in terms of physical tools. Like, Josh Allen made throws in the wind in 10 degree weather in Laramie that you shouldn't be able to make in a dome. And that's where you would, you know, like, all right, like he had some really frustrating tendencies and they still come out even to this day. Like he still makes some really weird decisions where he's trying to play Superman. 
And I think some of that stemmed from Wyoming not having the guys at wide receiver and the fact that he actually had to play that way if they were going to win. Like if, if it wasn't Josh Allen making plays, they weren't making plays. He doesn't need to do that anymore, and he still kind of does it at times, and it's it's cost them in, in a couple of those games. I mean, it definitely cost them against the Vikings. Will Levis, not even on the same planet as Josh Allen. No, it's not close. And just looking at, I mean, the box score is okay, 20-31-206, but the interception was just... I don't even know if it was lazy. It certainly wasn't lack of ability, but he basically just short-armed it and threw it right to Keely Ringo. I mean... And he's had three or four of those in SEC play in key situations where Kentucky's in the game. At the In the Ole Miss game, he had one where it's just like, man, are you, did you even see the backer there? Like, what are you doing? I know. Yeah, I mean, it, it is Georgia's defense, so I... I don't want to be too harsh in this moment, but man, you gotta you gotta show something against these SEC top line teams if you want to be a top fifteen even draft prospect like we're talking about with Will Levis. I just mean it's fine and Danny when he's cutting up a Mike Leach defense or something like that, but from right. what we've seen over a fairly large sample size, he kind of has not not ever once you know lived up to that moment. I know they've had some big wins, but it's rarely. Like he he hasn't even had, you know, like an Anthony Richardson Utah game where mm-hmm. Richardson was so impressive in that Utah game, he had me second guessing every opinion I ever had on him. Now Richardson right. then immediately went back to himself and I felt mad that I gave him the props that I did in the first place. But I don't know. It's it's a weird situation, but I want to move on out of the SEC. I want to go to the Big Ten because that's where a lot of this chaos was. That's obviously a conference that's uh, very close to you being a Michigan guy. Are you worried about J.J. McCarthy? Because while he is dynamic, I don't know if he's the guy that can like pick apart elite defenses. It was rough. Um, I think you really saw the biggest like disparity between him and Cade McNamara in that Illinois game. Uh, Cade's ability to just... I mean, obviously, J.J. has the tools. We, we all know this. But Cade's ability to just lead the team calmly, hit those easy passes on those third and fourth and shorts uh, when Michigan was down in the fourth quarter. Cade can do that. JJ still sort of trying to get on, I don't know, just a solid footing in those big time moments because obviously Michigan hasn't been in this situation very much this year. It does hurt that Blake Corum got hurt and Donovan Edwards is also injured. So I think the fact that you just gutted this win out, it as I told you many times over the weekend, it truly was a survival Saturday. You just had to get through this weekend, which Michigan did. But man, going into Ohio State, maybe down your top two backs, and now you have these questions about if JJ is the guy. It's just not momentum isn't in their favor at this point. I will say, I know Illinois was coming off a of back-to-back letdown performances, so their stock isn't what it was a month ago. But if this game happens three weeks ago, I don't think everybody's panicking the same way because that defense is legit. Illinois, their style, like they're going to be in most games. They have a you know really strong running game. They're efficient. Like It, it makes sense that they're a team that can hang around, that can kind of bog it down. But it, it was concerning to see the way McCarthy struggled so consistently. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's that really is the difference. Like while... McCarthy has the the ability to do some truly special things. I mean, some of those runs he had against Colorado State, where you when you see both quarterbacks playing one game and you can see 
just truly like what his high end athleticism is. It's like, all right, I get it. But sometimes you've just got to take what the defense is giving you. And I've watched Michigan quite a bit this year, and that's been a consistent problem. He hasn't always, you know, he's gotten away with it in a lot of these games, but it, it almost cost him. 100%. On the other side, Chase Brown, the Illinois running back, is absolutely legit. Um, he is kind of a warrior, too. I think he was hurt coming into this game, played through that, put up 29 carries, 140 yards, two touchdowns. He's a guy that we will definitely talk about for the Broncos as we move on to the spring. Um, but yeah, Michigan just, you got to hope Corum and Edwards are healthy for this week. That's got to be the main focus. So let's talk about Ohio State because we have to talk about Ohio State. Maryland gave them all they can handle. Now, a lot of it was late. Like, Ohio State got up big. Maryland kind of makes a storming comeback. Nice little showing for uh, Baby Tua there. I know that's not his name, but Talia. But Talia. I I just... I, I feel like this Ohio State defense leaves a lot to be desired. And to me... I feel more confident about Michigan in the trenches and their ability to contend in a potential playoff scenario than I do when I watch Ohio State. And like I understand they have the receivers. I understand they've got CJ Stroud. You can move the ball on them. 100%. But I look back at this box score. It was a lot of Talia doing things. As we talked about with JJ, he's going to have to step up. Michigan, of course, has a much better rushing attack. So I think they're, it's going to be pretty similar to last year's game, I think, where that's how Michigan has to take control of this game. You got to score early. You got to be able to run the ball well and just build these drives, these eight, nine, 10, 11 play drives. That's how you're going to win this game. Where are we at with CJ Stroud, though? Because I just continually am underwhelmed by him. I, it, he has these throws. And these flashes where it's like, yes, I get it. He's got the body, obviously, over Bryce. But, man, I just I expect so much more out of him, especially with these receivers. I think this is going to be a big game. You know, part it's part of the, the evaluation that gets tough with Ohio State quarterbacks, and it's, you know, the same struggle every time, is trying to evaluate what's around him and who they're going up against because they're they're just their skill guys are so much better than everyone else's and I understand it's a similar situation with Bama but we haven't had any scenarios with CJ where I feel like he's just putting the team on their back like Bryce does that 3 4 5 times a season he there's no quarterback I would if you yes yeah no kidding he's he is the reason that Bama's only a two loss team this year not a three or four loss team and he almost 100%. won those other games. Mm-hmm. What is CJ Stroud doing to elevate this team with all the talent that he has around them? Because when I, yeah, you know, he can make the, he can he can stretch the field. I don't know. I just I've I've just been underwhelmed by him consistently. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the season opener against Notre Dame. I mean, the stat the box score does look fine, but he, as you mentioned, he struggled at times in that game. Never really was able to put the team on his back. Uh, against Rutgers, he struggled too. Pence, or, uh, Northwestern, I know that game was in a torrential downfall. Um, so that one you kind of throw out. But you can add Maryland to that three-game list with Notre Dame and Rutgers of just these rough showings against teams that you should be able to put up a lot of points and make some very impressive throws. Notre Dame was out like three or four corners in that game. And they really were able to match up against uh, Stroud and those receivers. So 
I don't think Michigan is, they've been better on the outside and in the back end on the defense in previous years. So there's going to be some chances, I think, for CJ to make some great throws and really get the ball to Marvin Harrison. And um, I forget the other guy's name. It starts with an E, but I don't know if Jackson Smith and Jigma is back. So we'll see. It's a great matchup, though. It should be another great game this year. I also like Michigan's pass rush, though, in this game to be impactful. Yeah. We'll talk about it more later this week, but what what's your gut say right now? You feeling good? You feeling bad as a Michigan guy? Like, you know how it goes. You know, sometimes your gut is just like, I feel like it's our year. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, uh, I don't know. The last two years, going back to the beginning of each season in September, just watching both of these teams, I've felt that Michigan definitely has a chance to win. And the spread, I think it's the exact same spread we had last year. Seven and a half Ohio State. I love Michigan in that for one. And I do like them to give them some problems. I mean, it's on the road in the horseshoe. So that's the one thing. We'll get into it a lot later. I'm getting, I'm going too deep right now. Um, but I do like Michigan's chances. I like Michigan to pull the upset. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm rocking with the Wolverines. We'll love talk it. about the matchup later, but. I think their style translates. Now, we'll see what happens with their their backfield situation because that's a major reason why I have confidence in Michigan. But PCU, man, they hung on. They just continue to hang on. Everybody wants to write them off. Everybody wants to, you know, hey, they're going to get blown up. They might. They might get their ass kicked in the playoffs. But they're at this point, so long as they can just get to the Big 12 championship game, they're going to have a really good chance and they're probably going to have to win it too. I think if they lose the big 12 title, they'd be sweating, but I mean, their resume just continues to impress and that's, you know, not a great Baylor team, but that's a tough win given the circumstance. Yeah. I mean, we've seen better Baylor teams over the last few years, but they're no slouch about middle of the pack in the big 12. As things are shaped up right now, it would be TCU K state. In the Big 12 title game, TCU won that game earlier in the year, 38-28. to 28. K-State was but up yeah. big, though, before Martinez went down. Yep. And K-State is rolling right now. I mean, they went into West Virginia. Just, get, I mean, granted, West Virginia put 19 on the court, on the board in the first quarter there. But, I mean, to go into to Morgantown when 48-31, that's, that's significant. Mm-hmm. That's a trap mm-hmm. game every year. So they finish off against Iowa State. Iowa State's pretty bad this year. Um, so good D. If, if they sh- good D as always with Matt Campbell, but man, if they struggle against Iowa State, it's going to be they really have to win that game probably impressively over Kansas State in the title game. Um, but what can you say about them? They keep winning. Doug in his clutch. He did that without his top two wide receivers in that game. Their ability to clamp down defensively and get the ball back for that final possession in the fourth quarter was tremendous defense. So they've got some aspects. Yeah. As you said, they might get blown out, but they're a fun team to watch. I'm enjoying the ride. Is there a path to the Heisman for Duggan? Cause I was thinking about that over the weekend. It's, it sounds crazy. And then you think about it in terms of, well, what if Ohio state loses to Michigan and what if USC falls to Notre Dame and kills Caleb Williams campaign. There aren't like a lot of standout guys this year with what he has done to elevate TCU in these. I mean, from a resume perspective, they're top 25 wins. I think they have more than anybody in the country. It's hard to argue against him. Like he, he really is elevating this team in a way that again, maybe this is 
an unfair argument to use against CJ Stroud, but what Duggan is doing for TCU is a hell of a lot more than what Stroud is doing for Ohio State. I agree. I mean, personally, I'd have Caleb Williams as my favorite to win the Heisman right now over Stroud. Uh, Blake Corum, I think, has an opportunity to put himself firmly in the conversation this weekend, too. But outside of those guys and into the long shots, you know, your Jaden Daniels, your Bo Nixes, your Stetson Bennett's, I do like Max Duggan out of all of those guys just because of what he's been able to do. He probably has the best receiver in the country on his team also. But he showed in that Baylor game, as I mentioned, the ability to get it done without him. His ability to just run the ball and be that veteran presence for them is massive. I don't think you could understate that. So he's in the conversation. Maybe if you have two big games here down the road, you get the invite to New York. But it's it takes a lot to get there for him to be the one holding the trophy at the ceremony. I agree. At this point, I don't think I I would have Caleb Williams as my favorite as well, just because of the the numbers and he's just going to have an opportunity to, to do what he's doing on a big national stage. He obviously just did it in a great game against UCLA. I don't know though. I think it could get interesting if USC somehow does fall to Notre Dame, if Ohio state gets like blown out by Michigan, all of a sudden you're in, well, George is undefeated, but they're not going to give it to Stetson Bennett. His game's not no. sexy enough. He's not going to have the numbers. I, I feel like there's a possibility that said, if I were a TCU fan, I would be very nervous to face Kansas State again in a rematch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should probably be rooting for the Jayhawks when Kansas and Kansas State get together this weekend. Yeah, probably. Jaden Daniels came back. Did you see that? I did, yeah. So I like their knows, odds. We'll so. As Texas back, some are asking, after scoring 55 against KU. Uh, that's huh. that's sarcasm. Uh <laughs> Oklahoma does Oklahoma things and shows up against Oklahoma State. I don't Oklahoma State's just not good enough offensively. Like they're they're okay defensively to, you know, be competitive, but they asked Spencer Sanders to throw the ball 67 times. That's just that's not gonna work out. Oklahoma scored 28 first quarter points, didn't score any time else in the game. So it was just a weird one. I was on the wrong side of that too. That was a hurt hurtful one. I feel like I always talk myself into Oklahoma State just because I, despite not liking Gundy, there's just something about that program I do like. It is like a program I enjoy watching. They're not an underdog per se, but they just kind of feel scrappier. I feel like they don't get the respect they deserve in terms of just being consistent year in and year out. But yeah, it's it's been a fun year in the Big 12. It's been been classic, but I kind of really would like to see TCU survive, even though Kansas State was my preseason Big 12 pick, and, and I love bragging, and I love being right. But they're, they're a fun story. So I, I'll, I'll put my ego aside and probably still be pulling for TCU. I say that now, though, but as soon as that game starts, and if Kansas State gets yeah, up, I'm going to be like, yeah, do. you know it. I knew it. Should have listened to yeah. me all along. <laughs> um, real quick, we'll just talk about these Pac-12 games, and then we'll do the, do the mock. Um, UCLA gave USC everything they could handle. That second half was epic. Just a classic back and forth game. I don't know. I still feel like USC in the trenches, though, is again, they're just, they're going to struggle when they face one of these real teams. You know, not a real team. You know what I mean? A team with more size. Right. Yeah. I feel that. It's, 
they're very much a finesse team, even though they have shown the ability to run the ball pretty well, even without Travis Dino. Austin Jones had a big game, but um, Caleb Williams is just so incredible. It's a lot of uh, like, uh, they give me a lot of, what year is it, 2019 Oklahoma vibes with Kyler Murray at quarterback, where it's like, they're so fun to watch and they're dominant over every team they play until the playoff, where I fully expect if they are the, because they're going to be a four seed most likely. Um, we'll see if <laughs> if they're able to do anything against Georgia or Ohio State, Michigan, whoever they go up against. Because, yeah, it looks ugly right now. I mean, that OU team was frisky. And I mean, I remember even them moving the ball on Bama, but they just, they couldn't stop the run. And I think that's going to be mm-hmm. the same problem against, you know, whether they face a Georgia or a Michigan or whoever it may be, they're going to run the ball. Oklahoma covered that game. Oklahoma, yeah. I remember Oklahoma covered that game. And the spread was ridiculous, but still. It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Oregon, Utah, Oregon pulls it out seven and one in the Pac-12. Man, these teams are all going to feel like they just, if they could have like one or two back, I mean, whether it's Utah or UCLA or USC, all of them, they're just that they all have like one game that got away from them. Yep. Utah with multiple, you throw in that Florida game at the beginning of the year too. It's the Pac-12 just does this every year. It's it's rough to watch as someone who covers the Pac-12 because you do sort of want to root for that big check that comes with the playoff, but man, they just don't do themselves any favors. Any chance that Stanford moves on from Shaw? I don't know. It's tough to say, man. I think that they're dealing with a lot of the issues that CU is dealing with right now in terms of the transfer portal and getting transfers in because that's how you build a roster now in college football. But I think we've seen still just Stanford has this weird thing where they're scoring a lot on their opening drives. And I think the scripted drives and coach Shaw's ability to coach is still there. It's just the players aren't. I think Stanford may be smart enough to recognize what they are in the modern landscape of athletics, but they're landing five-star basketball players fairly regularly on the men's and women's side. So it's not like they can't still be relevant in athletics, but I do think it is going to be hard for a school like that to compete in football, especially just with what it is now. Uh, but I think that pretty much covers the the relevant games we need to talk about in terms of top 25 playoff uh, draft implications. There are going to be some fun games this week, though. So we'll, again, we'll have a second pod later in the week and we'll get into all of that. Uh, really looking forward to the Mountain West Championship, which is going to be Fresno State, Boise State, too. Jake Hayner gets an athletic Boise Let's State go. defense. There'll be some NFL intrigue there. Real quick, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball's back. Tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA money line bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out, though. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100%. With DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlay, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. It's where I go to bet on everything, college football, NFL, you name it. It is the bee's knees. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the promo code DNVR. Make any $5 bet this week, get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code DNVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Cool. 
Oh, I also got to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. They've got a sick new collaboration with Never Summer, Fun Slinger Lager. It's just fun to say, Fun Slinger. It's light, it's crushable, perfect after a day on the slopes or just hanging out watching soccer at the DMVR bar. Never mm-hmm. Summer Snowboarding is based right here in Colorado, so you can't go wrong with the beer or boards. Check out the beer locator at www.breckbrew.com. Find a fun slinger near you. It's going to be a fun time. I guarantee it. All right. We are going to do a mock draft simulation. Um, I'm going to let my main man, Jake, drive here. This is his segment, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Broncos currently have the 20th pick, I believe. Yep. Still in the 20 slot. So Same as last time. We'll run through a couple of different scenarios here. Jake's going to be controlling that, and then we'll uh, we'll talk through just some options. I don't even think necessarily we're going to come to like a conclusion, but we'll just be like, mm-hmm. oh, you could go here, you could go here. When there's only two of us, we don't have a deciding vote, and uh, knowing Jake and I, we could do this all night. So, right, let's let's get started. <laughs> let's roll it. First simulation starting now. Um, <laughs> these are so funny, just when you do them randomly. Quentin Johnson goes number one here. CJ Stroud, second overall, Bryce Young, all the way down to four. I guess big news, Will Anderson with the Broncos pick at fifth overall to the Seahawks. It's rolling through now. Brian Branch goes at 18, safety Alabama to the New York Jets. Christian Gonzalez becomes the 19th pick uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That one kind of hurts. So we are left with Trenton Simpson, linebacker Clemson, Brian Brissy, defensive tackle Clemson, uh, Cam Smith, cornerback South Carolina. You have Tyree Wilson, the edge out of Texas Tech. Crucially, though, Peter Skoronsky, offensive tackle out of Northwestern, is still there. Jackson Smith and Jigba still there. Where do we go, Justin? I feel like you got to go Skoronsky. If he falls to 20 with the state of the offensive line, it's not a fun pick, but I mean, if he was there, I, I think that's probably the, the move. I will say, though, if the Seahawks land Will Anderson with Denver's pick, I'm going to rip my eyes out. <laughs> Dre and I have come to the conclusion that if it's anything but Bryce Young, we just have to be happy with it, whatever it ends up being. Because, God, if it was if it's Bryce Young taken with the Seattle or with the Broncos pick for Seattle, that's that's an eye ripping scenario for me. Uh, Clark Phillips also available at 29. He's an intriguing option. Let's go to the next simulation, though. Hopefully, this one's a little bit more sane. Now, Will Anderson, number one. Uh, CJ Stroud, number two. Quentin Johnson, number three. Bryce Young, number four. So the Seahawks get Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. Bijan Robinson goes 19 to the Bucks. Brian Branch is the same pick for the Jets. Christian Gonzalez at 17 to the Washington Commanders. The Broncos are left with Michael Mayer, tight end Notre Dame, Noah Sewell, linebacker Oregon. Brian Brissy is still there. Cam Smith, Peter Skoronsky, JSN is still there. Clark Phillips still there. We still feel Skoronsky in this scenario, or would we entertain Jackson Smith and Jigba? I mean, I think you got to entertain it, but also you got to factor in Tim Patrick's coming back. You already locked down Sutton. I mean, I guess some of that would be dependent on what is your future with Jerry, Judy, and, and Hamler, right? Because with Hamler struggling to stay healthy once again, as dynamic as he is, when he gets the ball in his hands, good things happen. Guy can't stay on the field, though. 
Yeah, I consider I think it. it's a question. Yeah, it's a question worth asking. And we saw last year in the NFL draft. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. It was at least two or three wide receivers traded in draft. I think if there is a certain scenario where you can move a KJ Hamler or a Jerry Judy and get decent capital in return while you see Jackson Smith and Jigba still there, or maybe you fall in love with Keishon Boutte or someone else that's there. Um, I think you definitely have to entertain it. I think what it all comes down to is Peter Skaronsky still available. And that's the safe play. Like if he's on the board, I think we should just establish that that's the move. Yeah. This team really can't afford to pass up next simulation. Houston Texans go CJ Stroud, Panthers go Bryce Young, Bears Will Anderson, Miles Murphy is the Seahawks pick at fifth overall. Tyree Wilson goes at 18 to the Jets, but John Robinson again to the Bucks. A lot of the same guys here in this scenario. Joey Porter Jr. is on the board there, but I'll ask you this question instead. If Bajon Robinson is available, do we entertain that? If Joey Porter Jr. is there, I think you got to take him because I think he's my favorite corner in this class. I just love his athleticism and his physicality. I think he's just a perfect fit for the modern league. But yeah, I mean, Bajan showed it in this Kansas game, right? Like he, he is a stud and not that he had to prove it or anything. Like we've all known what he is, especially with your situation. I mean, he's, he's a stud him, him and Jameer Gibbs. I love them both. But Bajan Robinson is just as complete as it gets as a running back. You don't have that second round pick though. So you're going to have to either come around with a guy in the third round um, or potentially day three, just dig deep and hope you hit a gem. Really? I think in this scenario, Peter Skoronsky is still the guy. I'm Joey Porter's probably right there with him in this scenario um, as the two guys. I think you really have to consider adding the best value to this team. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be an intriguing option. We'll do one final more here and then we can get out. Um, Pretty similar at the top. CJ Stroud, first overall, Um, a little bit of a wild card. Jalen Carter, second. Will Anderson, again, taken at fifth overall with that Seahawks pick. 18, Michael Meyer, uh, the Notre Dame tight end goes to the Jets. And then Tyree Wilson. The Texas Tech edge goes to Tampa Bay at number 19. So we have Bajon Robinson. We have Joey Porter Jr. We have Christian Gonzalez on the board now. Peter Skoronsky still there. Same with Broderick Jones, the tackle from Georgia, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. If you had to pick between Christian Gonzalez and Jody, Joey Porter Jr., which way are you going? Joey Porter Jr. Still? I, I, yeah, I just I think he's... Man to man, I I don't know if there's a better corner in college football right now, and I I like Christian Gonzalez, but he had some rough showings against some quality competition this year that at least has me a little bit skeptical. I feel like Joey Porter Jr. has played his best games when the lights have been brightest. Has had some tough moments too. I've talked about it. He he tends to draw a lot of flags. He can be a little too handsy, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those you roll with it. Cause that's also what makes him great. But yeah, I don't right now outside of offensive tackle, what, what would be your number one need? Would it be that running back spot? Would it be adding corner? It's tough to say. I mean, obviously the most pressing need on the team is running back. Um, whether that lines up with draft value is going to be a huge talking point in these next few months. 
I think the conversation, if you, of course, offensive tackles in there, but if you got to throw an edge and cornerback, I think those are neck and neck with tackle at this point. With the edge prospects, Isaiah Foskey's there, edge from Notre Dame. You have BJ Ojolari from LSU there also. It looks like it's a decent enough edge class, though. There is some depth in this class. It's just a matter of, as we talked about, you only have one top 50 pick. So you're going to have to really make a decision on which players you like at these positions of need because it's, I'm sure there's going to be some hurt feelings in the war room come draft day because there's going to be some tough decisions that have to be made in terms of player value and positional value. So let me ask you this. Let's say they decide that as much as they like Bijan Robinson, they think he's going to be a stud. You know, they they think it's going to be like a Steelers situation. Like, you can't miss here. We got Najee Harris, but has Najee Harris actually made the Steelers more competitive? Not really. You know, I, I think it's a tough sell there when you have bigger needs. Who are some of the backs that you could maybe see in like round three? Like, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's somebody that we talked about earlier and like a Chase Brown out of Illinois. Would you feel good about that if you could land him, you know, somewhere between like 50 and 80? Yeah, I like him. He's at 145 on this pro football network, their mock draft simulator in their rankings. Kenny McIntosh at 134 on here, I think is great value. I like Zach Evans out of Ole Miss. Zach Charbonnet is probably my favorite out of all of them, though, at 73. He's been your guy um, for a while now. Yeah, former Michigan Wolverine. He's just he's just has the NFL look in terms of the body type, the ability to run through contact, and he's able to add some pop in the receiving game, which is huge for a back of his size. Blake Corum, I think, could be in the conversation, too. I would bet he goes much higher than his 63rd ranking at this point, though. He feels like um, a top 50 pick, especially if Michigan makes yeah. the playoff. Like I I think him, Jameer Gibbs, and and Bijan are, are the top three running backs in some order. Yeah, to go even deeper, though, there's some guys I think that offer some really intriguing value in Deuce Vaughn. Um, Mo Ibrahim, even though he's been through injuries and has been there for forever, you really just need a guy to be the guy next year in 23 with Javante. You don't know how long he's going to be out and possibly in the 24 I think Mo Ibrahim can give an NFL team a good two to three seasons before we start seeing any real drop off, though. That's what I was just going to say. A lot of a lot of tread on those tires yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that Deuce Vaughn is the most exciting player in college football. I would love to see him in a Broncos uniform. I also don't know if it's the move given Javante's situation. If you had a healthy Javante Williams, I'd feel great about it. But I mean. The reason Melvin Gordon kept getting carries is they still needed somebody to be that late lead back. And as much as I love Deuce Vaughn, I, you know, I, I feel like he's going to be the Darren Sproles to somebody's LaDainley and Tomlinson. I, I don't see him being a, a running back one. He's going to be that scat option, third down receiving. Yeah, I just, you know, I he doesn't have the size that even Jameer Gibbs has to be a, a three down guy. Yeah, that's valid. And that's why I didn't mention Devin A. Kane also from AM. I mean, he's obviously got blazing speed. He'd be an asset to this team if you had a, a healthy Javante Williams as that change of pace and just that speed out on the perimeter. But as the lone option in the NFL his first year, I just don't really see that happening for A. Kane. Um, who knows, though? He could surprise in that department. Some other guys, I think, worth throwing their name out there. Kendra Miller from TCU and Tavion Thomas from Utah. 
Um, Kendra Miller, maybe sort of in that scat back role also, but Kendra, or Tavion Thomas, I think could be, you know, in the, if you needed him, he could be a lead back for you in the NFL year one. Would you consider a Phil Lindsay reunion if you're Denver, huh. even if it was just for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. Obviously, the Colts activated him out of the week leading up to that game, so they couldn't really steal him from that practice squad after the injury to Javante. But it's, all options have to be on the table at this point, man. I mean, really, anyone but Melvin Gordon in the free agent pool, I think you have to kind of do your homework on and really wonder if you can get a steal in this free agent class as someone who can fill in until Javante is healthy enough or if he's not healthy enough next year. I don't want to beat a dead horse here. My opinions on Melvin Gordon have been pretty well stated at this point. That's one of my least favorite signings in you know the entire time that I've been a, a Broncos supporter. It didn't make sense at the time. They overpaid for him in the first spot. It never made sense. He did nothing but underwhelm and frustrate the entire time he was here. I don't know, man. That was that was one of those where it's like, I understand running an NFL operation is complicated. There's a lot that goes into it. I even understood at points this year why he was still getting carries as, as much as I hated to see it, just given the injury situation and where Denver was at. But when, when you see, and I, I know they got kind of a deal on him. They got a deal on him because nobody else wanted him in the offseason. And I, it's just frustrating that it took this long and this many miscues, and this many losses. And, and they're not all just on Melvin, like even in some of those games where he had big fumbles. But what, what a disaster. And like you said, there's, there's a lot of George Payton you know, decisions you know, now a couple yeah. of years in that aren't looking as great as they maybe did early on. And I'll be kind of curious to see how this plays out with new ownership. I mean, you know, they didn't hire him. Yeah, it's a, it's a valid point, man. And I'll say this final point before we get out of here, but going back to 2012, Adrian Peterson has the most fumbles in the NFL. He hasn't played the last few years. Second is Melvin Gordon. He only has one less than Adrian Peterson. And he was drafted in what, 2014, 2015. I mean, you saw this coming from a mile away. This is the guy he was in San Diego for the chargers. You still signed him anyway. And then the egregious mistake I think was this offseason of bringing them back. I don't care. There were so many options. You had so much draft capital. You could have brought in another back. Uh, Isaiah Spiller is doing things for the Chargers now. We haven't seen much Zamir White on the Raiders, but that was a guy I think that really would have fit in with what they were trying to do offensively and be a nice counterpunch to what Javante Williams offered. So, yeah, we'll get into it in the offseason. Lots of questions about George Payton. I'm sure he's going to have to face some questions too, but um, it's just frustrating, man. This team had so much potential, and to see it blow up the way they did, and I, I can't even be healthy, happy about Melvin Gordon like waving anymore. I can't be happy about this moment because he just shouldn't have been on the team to begin with. It's frustrating. This whole year is going to be an interesting one because it's just going to be so many what ifs. And, you know, I know our guy RK keeps putting those stats out there. If we'd scored 18 points a game, you're a nine and one team. 18 points a game. I mean, 10, 15 years from now, that's the type of stat you look back on and are just going to, what? I can't believe this. It, it was a wasted season. This defense is insane. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's fun, but it just, that almost makes it worse because you know, like truly yeah. how great this defense is. And like, if even if you had 
a semi-competent offense, you're a Super Bowl contender with this defense. I don't know. I mean, it's the same story the last six years, seven years, bro. The defense really doesn't deserve the offense that has been put out in the field. And damn, they are balling out, but it's a shame they don't get the recognition that they deserve because they should be the reason why this team wins so many football games the last six, seven years. And it's just ended in disappointment almost every time. Do they consider Evero to just promote him to head coach? I mean, you know he's going to get interviews, but then it's one of the it's you never know if you know if a coordinator is actually going to be a good head coach or not. But he is, I mean, he's clearly one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. Yeah, I mean, why not at this point? See if he has something that can rally the troops and really turn this around because Part of me still believes this is a very talented roster, especially offensively. I think it doesn't make sense that it's not working. And I think you have to look at Hackett and what this offense is at a core and make some hard decisions. You need a guy to come in there to ruffle some feathers and really say, no, we need to do this thing with what we have. We only have so many ways to win a football game and playing outside of those ways is just not the way to do it. So I would give him a shot at this point, but who knows? I mean, we've seen Dom Capers rumblings on Twitter that he would be the guy if Hackett were to go. And God, I'd rather keep Hackett at that point than put in Dom Capers as your interim head coach. If only there were guys that grew up around the organization who knew a lot about football. I guess the uh, Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, um, you know, just a little bit, just a little bit frustrating that uh, those are the two guys that got passed on and we've ended up with Vic Fangio, Vance Joseph. good old Nathaniel Hackett, and Vance Joseph. Oh, man. All right. Sorry. That was more for us than you guys. We need to vent <laughs> every now and then, too. But I am intrigued to see how this, how the rest of the season plays out. Obviously, you know, it's going to be fun to, to dive into some of these draft prospects. We're a little bit behind, I feel like, just because we went into you know, this season with a different mindset, you know, you, we, the Broncos traded that pick, you know, this was kind of different. Now you acquire it. It'll, it'll be kind of interesting to see, but for, uh, for Jake, I am Justin. We are the draft pod hosts. Shout out to our guy, Dre. He should be back with us later in the week. Shout out to the presenting sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Use that promo code DNVR when you sign up. Much love y'all. I hope everybody has a very happy holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.